0: Welcome to the Behind the Vision podcast. In this episode with Cole, we chat on how he discovered his passion for investing, solving problems through software, and NFT horse racing. Yes, I said NFT horse racing. I hope you enjoy the show. What is a stock?
1: (laughs) So a stock is... A publicly traded, I mean, it's a it's a piece of a company essentially, so it's publicly traded on an exchange. Um, you know, in like the traditional sense, you know, it's a piece of paper. That's you know, these days it's all digital, held in a you know, DTC trust or whatever. But um, you, know, you could get you could theoretically order a stock certificate that has the number of shares that you own of a company. So it's equity. Um, Traded on an exchange
0: Dang. I didn't know you could actually buy paper that's interesting <laughs> well I mean <laughs> like back yeah, in the day that's how they were issued right these days True.
1: these days you know there's companies and firms that will hold those for you technically but um, yeah and I mean I think you can still order them today if you wanted to you just, it takes a while <laughs> You get a little piece of paper that
0: says your name and you own this many shares of this company mm-hmm. but, pretty cool yeah. so how can you buy stocks can you buy it Online? Can you still do it from mailing in? I
1: don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I mean, the easiest way these days is is through. So I mean, you, you have to go through a broker. So brokers are kind of your entrance into buying and selling a stock, um, because technically there's a there's a trading floor, an exchange floor that would all these buys and sells would happen, and obviously you're not on the floor of these exchanges. Mm-hmm. Um, so you go through a broker. Which has a presence there, and you know a lot of brokers these days are online, to like Robinhood, you know TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, all these brokerages that have been around for a while, or in Robinhood's case, not too long. Um, they have apps and websites now that you can go on and, and buy buy stocks. So
0: sweet. We'll dive into that a little more later, but yeah. I want to. Kind of start back from maybe more so the beginning. What kind of kid were you like in school?
1: (laughs) Um, I think early on I was a little introverted, uh, you know, for whatever reason. This was grade school. Um, I was never great in school, like in terms of grades and, um, you know, like I guess aptitude for certain subjects. So I never really liked, and, and this is kind of even prevalent today, like when I read books, like I, it's hard for me to get into something that I'm not interested in, like inherently. Or if I don't see the value in it long term, it's, it's hard for me to, to, like, immerse myself. So school for me was not, it, it came easy in a sense where I was never failing out of classes. You know, smart, I guess, smart enough or however you want to describe it to, to get by but I never pushed really hard to excel, I mm-hmm. guess, in in a lot of areas. Mm-hmm. So. Did you go to college? I did for a short period of time. So I, so I graduated high school and went to community college for two years, and that's actually where I first started kind of learning about investing, um, and then went to the U for a year and then I got an opportunity to work for an investment firm downtown I think my junior year of college and I never finished so Mm -hmm. I was going for accounting and finance um in school ever since the kind of beginning years kind of like always like analyzing companies looking at balance sheets and income statements and things of that nature just kind of made sense to me so I was like oh well I'll you know go for that like it seems like it'd be an in-demand job like job security whatever and so I went for that and dropped out to work for the investment firm and uh, there I was kind of just like an, an an operations associate essentially so I was like processing incoming investments um, and we can get into that company's business if you want to but essentially just very entry-level
0: mm. so you're doing shit you didn't want to do exactly and I and I <laughs> and
1: I so I've obviously knew at that point like this is not for me and I was making friends with other people in that business who had other roles more related to like where I would be in five to ten years right so like you know the CFO and you know accounting managers and things and I just like their whole job was the exact same every single month it's like reconciliations and like balancing but you know all that stuff and i was like i don't really that's not interesting to me especially when you're talking about for one business i could see myself being interested in like a consulting role or i could have seen myself obviously these days i don't really care but i could have seen myself more interested in like consulting role where you're going into a business and like maybe um analyzing their books and and coming up with some sort of you know some sort of outcome like of that would be would have been interesting because you're working with different businesses different industries um, and that would be more interesting but at the time I was like this is not for
0: me yeah not for you Um, you mentioned that you started to kind of dabble around in investing in college Mm -hmm. what kind of started that for you
1: (laughs) yeah it's funny time goes by so fast it's it's funny to think back but I we had a family friend who was doing real estate investing So my dad ran a, or still does to this day, a landscaping business. And one of his clients was a person that owned a portfolio of small apartments. And, you know, I asked my dad one day, like, what, you know, what does he do? Like, how does he make, because he's just obviously a very wealthy person. And so he's like, well, he's an investor, right? He's an investor in these properties and makes this rental income. And I was like, well, the fuck is that <laughs> like at the time I had no idea and so I just started googling like what's an investor and of course when you type in Google like investing or especially these days like investing or what, you know what is inv- what is an investor it usually will come up with something stock related right because that's usually the most popular thing mm-hmm. the easiest there's the lowest barrier to entry is to get into stuff, like investing is to invest in an ETF or like an index fund or something like that and so that kind of got me down a rabbit hole and got me looking at stocks in general. and then you know for me, if I'm interested in something, I try to like read books about it or gain knowledge in some way like that. So I started reading books and came across you know the whole kind of Warren Buffett fundamental analysis type of books, which is, was intriguing because in a, in a sense, he does something similar to what I was originally going to school for, which is analyzing the business from like an account like an income, balance sheet perspective which is you know by the numbers historically what has the company done how have they been growing and how can you project into the future what they should be worth today so like discounted cash flow analysis and things of that nature so that's really what got me started um and then from there it's just been a a journey Mm
2: -hmm.
0: what was your favorite class in college like were you (laughs) able to you know discover that you're super interested in investing were you able to then match that up with your degree at all? That's a
1: really good question. So for me, college and high school and middle school, I think elementary school, like I said, is more of an introvert. But once I started meeting people, I think for me, school was always a social thing. So it was always a way for me, like I was like going not to learn the material, but to be with friends essentially. So for me, like all the classes that I liked were... Some, some accounting-related classes, of course, I liked. But I really liked the classes that, um, like, they're public speaking classes where you're interacting with people more so than maybe other classes. Um,
0: you like public speaking?
1: I, I, you know, I don't know about, like, in front of a lot of people. But yeah. I do, I mean, I just like talking to people. Mm. So I think public speaking, like, was kind of, it was nice. important. I think it was important. I knew the value. Again, back to what I was saying, like, I knew there was value in it. Because I liked talking to people. So, learning how to maybe speak and and be confident in front of one person, let alone a ton, like that was important to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I always liked, you know, philosophy too was always interesting to me. Um, You know, how people think and act. Again, relating it back to like uh, just like people and socializing and like learning about where people's heads are at and what they're doing and why and things of that nature. Um, So, yeah some of those courses were were more interesting
0: yeah did you do much investing in when you were in college I did yeah I think I bought my
1: first stock when I was 19 um what did I buy I couldn't even remember to this day but Apple (laughs) yeah no it was you know so (laughs) if you want me to go down the path like the journey of that I definitely can um so I started out You know, Warren Buffett, that type of investing, which I mean, to this day is great. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. You know, market tends to be cyclical in the sense that value, which is really that style, becomes in favor in certain periods versus growth, which is kind of a period that we're in now where, you know, when rates are low, people are willing to pay, you know, people are willing to bid up or or buy stocks that are growing faster, anticipating a higher return. On their money, instead of a company that's you know kind of growing at a steady rate but slower, yeah. so essentially seeking yield is producing kind of a, a growth stock being in favor. But anyway, I started out in that kind of lane, and then um, you know because it's value, because you're buying stocks in theory at a discount to what you think they should be worth today. A year to five or ten years from now, is a very slow. Um, like you're not going to make money overnight. I guess is the point. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you if you do, that's great. But typically, you're you're buying and you're hoping the stock will go down so you can buy more. Especially if the fundamentals don't change, and you're you're realizing that value over a longer time period.
0: It's like um, the most disciplined approach to investing totally. is like Warren Buffett Warren Buffett style because. There's a lot of stocks that can just like pop off overnight, mm-hmm. and like that's very interesting to people. And even like what you were saying, but it's like those stocks like Starbucks and Disney that are that seem like they're moving a little slower, but over the long term, you're able to actually value that company and invest them, in, invest in them, and then see the value like totally, long term. Totally, totally,
1: yeah. And I th- like that is a traditional investment mindset regardless of stocks in general right it's like you're trying to realize value over a longer period of time given you know your your perspective on on that investment class Uh, and so you know at the time I was younger right and I wanted to make money quick just like everybody when they first (laughs) kind of start out Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I basically went from that end of the spectrum to the exact opposite and started getting into like very small like penny stocks and stuff like that and just doing research on that and unfortunately with penny stocks like it's very marketed like those are it's a very marketed industry let's say like a very small um kind of part of the stock market is these these penny stocks and for for various reasons but so you ser- you know searching google how to make money and stocks are quick or whatever you usually come across some sort of like penny stock or forum or something talking about these stocks that'll go up 100 200 percent a day mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had no idea what I was doing back then. And even, you know, to this day I laugh because I probably started out with $1,000. And to trade in and out of a stock back then, it was, you know, $10 per trade. So you're paying $20 just to get in and out. And so to make, you know, if you're investing $1,000, like you got to make a decent return Mm -hmm. just to break even. Yeah. And so, you know, essentially blew up or lost that money number of times just on you know i was just buying junk stocks that would go up maybe a little bit and i would and i would hold and then i would it go i'd be red you know it would go down and down and down and would never come back and there's a there's <laughs> a funny story i have actually
0: never selling
1: <laughs> yeah there's a funny story i have where I, in my e-trade this is like the first broker i ever had i bought this piece i mean just a piece of shit stock don't even know what it did or, and still don't to this day and <laughs> You know when a stock goes down enough to where like it's basically a zero like they'll just delist it like mm-hmm. it just doesn't trade anymore so that i, I think i logged into my a trade i don't know it's just a few years ago now and i just see you just see numbers like there's no name it's nothing it's literally it's not a stock anymore mm-hmm. so it's just funny that i went down that path for you know a year or two
0: yeah how much time did you you know spend learning about investing compared to actual like schoolwork? if you were to like <laughs> presented out on like a pie chart or something.
1: I mean, I've consumed so much content regarding businesses, finance, investing, and not so much related to stocks. I mean, a large majority of it is related to stocks, but just in general, I think that's always been interesting to me. So when you put it in the context of like um, the traditional subjects of college or school, I mean, it's like 90-10. 90% of what knowledge I've tried to to learn or invested time in learning has is, is been related to that side of the world, um, <laughs> which is kind very of Very unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah. I mean,
0: it's very true. Like, even when I was in college, I joined this kind of investment fund that would do similar trading style to Warren Buffett. Mm-hmm. And we'd go through DCF models and go through business, like 10Ks, which anyone can go and find on the internet. Yep. And this is where you actually start to learn how a business makes money and kind of how a business operates. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of just business information and knowledge can come from. Totally. It's just like learning totally. about investing and then also understanding how a business operates.
1: Dude, you're, you're so right. And it, the cool thing about the um, regulatory process that we have here in America is within those documents, like they disclose the risk factors that they foresee, and if they're being honest, which of course they should be and and usually are, um, that'll give you a really good idea too. Like what is, so obviously you know how they're making money, you know that they are, they're growing, whatever, you can do your discounted cash flows, but then you realize, or it helps you realize the, what management, what the people that are actually in the business, in the industry, the experts there, what are they foreseeing as potential risks? Either economic risks or, um, you know, market risks so like changes in their industry and things so yeah it gives you a really good idea of um, of a business in general um, and kind of how they relate to um, the broader economy and other businesses and other industries Mm -hmm. it's pretty interesting
0: yeah how did you start working for the internship that you did out of college
1: I was looking for jobs a a job really Um, I was Delivering pizzas at the time. Ooh, nice. Yeah. So it's a Domino's it's like a delivery
0: driver. 180. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: and so I was looking for just something uh, a little more, you know, I pay a little bit better, something a little more interesting, obviously, maybe more related to what I was going to school for. And so I found it on Craigslist, actually.
0: Yeah. No. And I didn't know what to expect, right?
1: I, you know, just sent in my CV or my resume. And um,
0: that's like the last I place I back. think about. I know. Looking for jobs at crazy. I know.
1: It, is, it is kind of comical, but it, it fucking worked out great. I mean, That's awesome. It was a great experience. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so you found out on a Craigslist, did yeah. you have to like apply for it? Or were they just like, yeah, just come on in. Yeah. <laughs> well, at the time,
1: they were probably maybe 25 people, 20 people. So it was, re- it was a relatively small company. So I think I sent in my CV and I got a call and said, hey, you know, come in. At this time, we'll do an interview, and I did one interview with three people. I might have done a phone call first, but anyway, so it's like an initial screen, and then I did an interview with three people at their office downtown, and then um, I got a call back like a few days later. Said you'd be a great fit. We'd love to have you. Um, Yeah, I didn't think I did really well in the interview, but I guess I I guess I did okay.
0: Yeah, that's cool. That's kind of like, I mean, obviously you did a lot of, you know, investing research and just like reading on yourself, but that's kind of like, would you say that's your first step almost to pursuing an investment career? Totally. Some,
1: yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And it was, you know, it was an interesting business. Like, um, they were, so they were, I don't know if you know what life settlements are. And if you want if you want to get into that. We can, what is it? It's life- uh, just their business and what okay. they did. Um, they were, uh, raising money through like a bond, like an offering, a bond offering, and they were buying uh, life insurance policies from individuals who no, no longer wanted or needed them. So, you know, in theory, if a policy was worth a million dollars face value, you know, if a person dies, whoever the beneficiary is gets a million dollars, they would go to that person and say, hey, we will buy this from you today in cash for 750000 and legally, you can do that. There's been laws that have been um, put into place to allow people to, to sell those policies. And it becomes an asset, which is interesting. Like, this this is—I mean—it is, I mean, it is a very interesting business. I'm super grateful for the opportunity because it really opened my eyes to the world of finance outside of the stock market. Like, the mm-hmm. the investment opportunities um, that are available, given, and... and, and there's a lot of money to be made i will say in assets or different asset classes that may or may not have like a larger barrier to entry or lack of information and this is one of those those asset classes like nobody really knows about it there's no easy way to like you can't like you or i couldn't just go on some website and buy someone's policy right there's no marketplace for it there maybe is today but back in the back then this, they were the only ones doing it for the most part. So, anyway, they'd buy the policy for $750,000. There was like a very complex kind of life expectancy model that they used to determine whether, you know, if they, if they paid the $750 and expected the person to live for five years, so the premiums that they pay plus the $750 would net out to less than a million dollars, they would make an ROI. So anyway, that was their whole business model and they're raising money to buy these life insurance policies and then any, you know, proceeds they'd make the company would keep. And so it was very kind of interesting opportunity to to start out with.
0: Yeah, that sounds like an insane business. (laughs) Totally. Buying life insurance policies. Totally dude
1: it's just crazy what you can like out there there's there's people doing everything for sure people doing everything for
0: sure even when you travel other parts of the world i remember when we were in california with um devin winter and we were just out there and the you go to this apartment building and there's these kids there that are younger all of them are younger than us they're like in their 18 to 20 years old and some of them had shoe businesses where they're just reselling. And yeah. there's a few of them that were reselling like Instagram page, like meme accounts. <laughs> they're, they're doing that full time. That's it's awesome. like, it's crazy. It's cool though.
1: Yeah, dude, it's just hustling, right? Mm-hmm. Like anything you can do to make money. I love it. I mean, it's, it's cool.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so after the internship, because you left, you left college for the internship, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. it wasn't technically an internship. Like it was an okay. actual job. Like I was getting oh. paid. Yeah. Um, and at the time I thought it was a lot of money. So I, I left because it was full time. I mean, essentially. Mm. And
0: um, was it hard for you to leave college?
1: Not at all. Looking back, I kind of regret it. You know, I think at the time I was. I think there's a general consensus amongst friends, family, whatever. It's like you need to go to school. And like you need a degree, you need to do this. And I, I've never been a person. Even to this day, if someone tells me I need to do something or I, like I have to do something, I just I I am a huge contrarian to that point of view. Like I just don't think that there's any black or there's not a lot of black and white in the world, right? I think. So I always kind of, I thinking back, kind of that pushed me away from mm. staying like, well, fuck off. Like, I know I can, <laughs> I know I can do whatever is I want. Is that a challenge? Like, yeah, exactly. So I think that that was easy for me at the time. You know, looking back, I, I think there is a lot of value in college, not so much for the material that you learn or the the knowledge you gain um, from specific classes, but the the networking aspect, the social aspect, again, like i just the social part of, of everything is important to me. So I think that, you, there's a lot of value in school. Whether that value is equal to the amount that some people pay for certain schools, I don't know. Um, but uh, looking back, you know, I probably could have stayed and, and would have been just fine. Like, the opportunity that I got, it was very interesting. It obviously got me to where I am today, but um, it wasn't like a once-in-a-lifetime
0: opportunity. So, Yeah. Do you think it would give you the same outcome if you would have stayed in school?
1: That's a really good question. You know, part of me thinks that I want to say that if I did stay, I would have gotten a traditional job and probably hated my life. But that also could be, you know, me and hindsight bias and ex- as an excuse to, to make it seem like it was okay to leave. So mm-hmm. I don't really know. Um, if i if it would have helped me out or maybe propelled me a little further I'm now i have no idea it's a good question yeah yeah
0: um so after the internship what did you do after that did you get fired <laughs> did you
1: leave <laughs> yeah it's been a wild ride so when i was there um there was a i mean like my job was very monotonous it was very routine And and for good reason, like it's a very entry level job, right? So like they're not going to give me a lot of responsibility when I'm that that low on the totem pole. So I started dabbling. I don't even know how I started, but I started dabbling with like coding, like programming, um, some Excel sheets that I was in every day just to automate a lot of the stuff that I was doing. And uh, you know, I fell in love with that actually, uh, and kind of dove into that. Um, and so essentially I was doing nothing like every day, Mm -hmm. like relatively speaking, like I wasn't doing like a lot of the stuff that I was kind of manually point and click doing or like typing in whatever was all automated. Um, and so after a while, you know, I kind of just made the decision to pursue that as a career, you could say, or get a job in that field. One, because I saw the value that I created just by automating that and the time that I saved. So I was like, wow, like programming, It was big back then. I mean, not like it wasn't uh, like I was on the forefront of anything, but like, I was like, wow, this is going to be huge. Like programming or learning how to code is getting easier for people. Like the barrier to entry is easy. So I can learn it because I'm not the smartest person in the world. Um, And the value to businesses is huge. So I was like, well, and I liked it. It was very, it's very logical. It's very, I mean... Um, you know, mathematical in a sense. So I kind of dove into that. I got a job. So I left that business. I quit the investment firm and got a job with a news media business in Bloomington just as a entry-level programmer. Mm. And so they, I started out, um, they had a huge um, CICD initiative, which is basically like continuous integration and deployment. So you Automate the the build and the deployment of applications to in their case They were doing it to like actual servers on-site and things of that nature, but um, That was the first project I was ever officially on in my career as a as a programmer.
0: Yeah, that's cool Yeah, how did you learn your programming? uh, Knowledge yeah, (laughs) it was
1: all I mean a lot of trial and error, you know, like a lot of just banging my head against a wall, which I I think is the best way to learn, at least for me. Um, and then just you know online books, like I didn't I didn't go to any classes or anything for computer science or programming whatsoever. Um, so it was really just and like for me, learning with an actual application, like not application like a app, but like the the actual application of some sort of program to a business. So for me, it was like. like easily, I was easily able to understand how that specific like piece of code was working to solve a specific need, which made a lot of sense to me. So I think it was easier for me, like my my learning curve was um, quicker because I saw, like I didn't, I wasn't trying to come up with apps in my head and like code them from scratch, like I had real business use case for specific things so i was like okay i know i know exactly the outcome i need like how do i code it so it's mm-hmm. like kind of half the problem was already was already there you know it's yeah. like solved
0: do you find that it was more beneficial for you to know that there was already a problem for you to fix yes. or did you find it to do you, do you see it beneficial to also just think of kind of a random idea and try to create something like that.
1: Yeah, see that I think is is a good question um, because back then it was easier for me to work backwards. Like I had the solution, I had the, um, the objective, the goal that I wanted to achieve. So it's like working backwards and figuring out like, okay, how do I code for that? Um, but I think, you know, once you get to a certain point, like once you kind of have a foundation, exploring, Other options would be, you know, exploring kind of, there we go. I got video. (laughs) No, just exploring, you know, once you have a foundation, you kind of, you know what you're doing, then having the kind of open canvas, if you will, to code... Maybe something you're not sure of, like what you're gonna be, what the final outcome is, might be pretty beneficial because you could explore other avenues that you might not have taken before. So yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah, what was the first thing you built? Through I code, through your second language. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So I automated to. So this is actually kind of fucked up, but um, part of my role was to search the obituaries. You're talking about at that company, right? <laughs>
0: <Just> <laughs> yeah. Search smart. the obituaries
1: for the people that we had in our portfolio, right? So the people that we bought these life insurance policies from, um, I was to go through and there was a number of means that we had to search for the deaths, right? So we could recoup that, that face value of that life insurance policy. But one of the avenues was me going through obituaries because typically those would be immediate, right? Like if someone dies, their family posts out the obituary and says when the service will be or whatever. Mm-hmm. So my my job was to just go through and look, search people's names and try mm-hmm. and match up their full name with their date of birth, because that's usually all they provide in an obituary, right? It's like mm-hmm. their full name and when they were born and when they died. So I was just going through websites, just searching for these people to see if we could find one that um, we would be able to realize that that gain on because you know, the longer you let that sit, the more premium we pay, the the lower the, the ROI is on that investment. So anyway, the, the, the code that I built was I created a spreadsheet that had people's full names and date of birth in it, in our portfolio, and it would just run line by line, um, copy the name and the date of birth, open up a browser automatically, go to the website that I wanted to and pop in the name and the date of birth, and it would search through. Each post to see if there was a match and if there was a match it would just you know throw a notification out there and then I would have to obviously go in and make sure that it was legit um, and so that thing would just run and again that would normally take me like a full day because mm, you're doing that manually manually going through Oof. and I'm typing in their name and I'm going through this thing would do it in like a couple hours and I, and I wouldn't have to be there so not mm-hmm. only was the time that it took to get the results quicker but it was not my time that it was doing it did you still have to stay there though um, initially yeah, because it was clunky, like it was my first project. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was like not working or it would bomb out or like, you know, if, if I searched a name and nothing came up, it wouldn't know what to do. So there's things that I had to work through, right? But at the end it was just a self sufficient process. Like it would just run, I'd fire it up every Monday or whatever the you know, whatever the hell it was. And um, yeah, so it would you, just yeah you
0: really run. built software for the company.
1: Yeah. Definitely. Did they
0: ask you to do that? Did no, you just it was do all it? on my own. Wow. All on my own because
1: I, I realized like this sucks. I don't want and I, I just knew like I didn't have to. Like I knew there was a way to automate it, just in my head. I just I just or generally in life I just think like there's always a better way to do something, right? Yeah. So it's just kind of that drive to like figure it out.
0: <laughs> did you tell them that you built them software after the before? fact? Yeah. Wait, when you left? No, 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 no. Oh. After
1: I did it and like mm. it worked, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, maybe I should tell somebody I'm doing this because yeah, I didn't. I, I wasn't gonna be the person that you know, did it and then just kind of like fucked off for the whole work day. Like, I I mean, I was very open about it and, um, and they were really, they were on board with it. I mean, they loved it. Um,
0: so they're, they're completely cool with like what you created.
1: Yeah. And to their credit, like that's, I mean, everyone that I met there and I still keep in touch with some of the people I met there to, to this day, um, you know, I consider them good friends of mine. So, uh, very open people, very nice people, like nice. professionally. Um. yeah just very good management I, I think they were all open to great ideas but I mean when you think about it like it was just an investment firm that like they were just investing in life insurance but, like it wasn't like a super regulated or um, kind of professional typical professional environment Like, it's not like a law firm where there's you know mm. it's kind of a pretty stiff yeah, yeah. exactly it was yeah. very laid back you know and, and they never had to wear like a tie yeah. you know shit like that so yeah. oh that's I, awesome though. yeah yeah yeah. it was very very laid back mm-hmm. that's cool
0: um so did how long did you work there for
1: the investment firm was um almost two years i think mm-hmm. yeah two two years or so and then i was at the news media business for a year okay um and then after that i, I went to start a uh essentially software development consultancy with Couple other people,
0: mm, software consultancy.
1: Yeah, specific to Salesforce. So mm. we're doing a lot of like Salesforce implementation and customization. Um,
0: How did that idea come about? I, you know, I don't know. It was
1: people that I had met at the investment firm. Who? So long story short, the investment firm started using Salesforce, and um, you know, people if, if they don't know a Salesforce, there's a lot of um, ability to customize it via code. And they knew that I was doing that now full time at the media company. So they, they're like, hey, you know, we want to start this this little business. Do you want to come be our, our developer lead um, for for projects that may need some customization? And I was like, sure. You know, at the time I was like, I really want to do something different, you know, and um, I saw it as a huge opportunity. So mm-hmm. we did that for about a year and a half. and had you know, some relative success with that. And then after all the leads that we had from our immediate networks kind of dried up and we wrapped up those projects, We nobody really wanted to do any business development to get new projects. Like at the time, I wasn't comfortable with that. Um, we didn't really have a solid track record to present to people. And we didn't really have the resources to pursue like, you know, any major deals. So it's kind of like, yeah, we could do business development and maybe get some like, really small projects, you know, but no one really wanted to take the lead on that. So we ended up dissolving that, you could say. Mm. And, uh, and each, each of us went our own respective ways and consulting um, after that.
0: Yeah. What was your biggest like, takeaway from that experience? It's um,
1: a good question. I would say that I mean, ultimately I love, I loved the experience. Like I loved kind of being not an owner. Like I didn't own any IP or anything like that. There wasn't anything that I owned. I didn't have equity in the business, but like, um, being part of something that was mine in a sense was cool. Like that was kind of an eye opener. I was like, wow, I could really, um, do this, uh, for a living, if you will, like working for myself Um, and also kind of the way that it dissolved, like just realizing that when it comes to running a business, you are really, you know, you may have a really good skill set at one thing and you may be okay at others, but the way that you become successful, like really successful in any business venture, in my opinion, is... Either utilizing other people as resources for information or bringing them in to help you out if they're really good at one thing so like for example if we would have found somebody or we probably should have but we didn't find like a really good sales rep that could like build a book of business for us like projects in the pipeline I think we would have been very successful Mm -hmm. but nobody wanted to do that nobody felt like they could and so uh, that's why ultimately the business folded. Mm. So I think just realizing that everyone has a different skill set and aptitude for certain things, and you really have to be willing and open to tapping into that. You know, asking for help when you need it, mm-hmm. um, and not being kind of like stubborn about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
0: Yeah. What did you end up doing after that experience for the startup?
1: So then, that's when I just started consulting, for the most part, um, up until you know today. I guess mm-hmm. I still kind of do like, as you know, a
0: little bit of it. Um, Does that kind of bring us where you are in your life today? Yeah,
1: pretty much. the The past like six years, let's mm-hmm. see, 20, yeah, six seven years or so, I've just been w- consulting. So, originally. I started out working for a consulting business. So think like Deloitte, like some of those bigger names. I wasn't working for any of the big four, but I was working for like a boutique. So similar concept, but I was just a consultant. Like I'd be on different projects, working in different businesses and um, helping them out. And so I've done a combination of that over the years as, as well as just my own pra- mm-hmm. practice, if you will. Just like
0: Yeah. What are you specifically consulting on?
1: So I've done a couple different things. So a lot of Salesforce. Over the years. So um, whether it's implementation, customization for Salesforce, it's been a very hot product. A lot of businesses use it and it's growing. It's just been going like crazy. So I've stuck to doing a lot of that. I've done small projects, um, app development, like for iPhone and iOS or iOS and Android. Um, Some web stuff like uh, web apps. But yeah, majority like Salesforce has just been super hot. So I've kind of stuck with it. The you know the hourly rates you can get are pretty high, um, because for the most part you're talking about enterprise businesses, established businesses that have R and D or like have money to spend on technology, um, so they're willing to pay someone instead of hiring in house, right? So you, as a consultant you go in, they have objectives, they have goals, they have the budget, and um, you just kind of work with uh, work with their teams to to develop what they need and implement what they need.
0: Okay, a lot of on the development side. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: A lot of on the development side originally, and these days I'm mostly a higher level, what they like would call a like kind of an architect. So, you know, going into a business and working with maybe more upper management individuals to either identify their goals and objectives or help them to uncover what's possible given their goals. So, like for example, they want to decrease the you know the sales cycle the time it takes to complete a sale within a business mm-hmm. using Salesforce they want to you know reduce that time by 50% or something like that so i can go in and say okay if you want to do that using Salesforce you can automate this 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 and this you can you know uh, integrate with DocuSign and send out the, the contracts automatically you know things of that nature is kind of what i'm doing now and less mm-hmm. actual programming
0: yeah what's been the most challenging Um, project in the consultancy world that you've had to deal with so far (laughs) so there's two this is a really good question there's two kind of
1: right so i had two different avenues right so the one answer to this question is complexity which would be like the actual development is like hard it's a hard problem to solve so for example we i was on a project that they wanted to run through every contact record they have they had in Salesforce and pull in a bunch of related object data, aggregate all of that and spit it out on a PDF as like a document. And so from a development standpoint, the actual like generation of a PDF and displaying data is not hard, but they wanted to scale that process to 10,000 contact records and those 10,000 contact records would potentially have like 10 or more related records to it. So you're talking about scaling a, a very easy solution to you know, 100,000 records, which if you wanna do that automatically without anything going wrong, like it's a hard problem to solve program, programmatically like speaking. So I think that project was difficult and, and helped me learn like, a lot about scalability Mm -hmm. with code and how you think about scaling a solution and what needs to happen and when to make sure it works, um, one properly as you're expecting and two in an efficient like time manner. And then the other aspect is I was on a project that was like a huge uh, dollar size at the time. I think it was like three or $4 million for the business I was working at and it was difficult because there were multiple, not only people within our company working on the project, but like other firms were involved. So like sometimes if a business has a large scale project, they'll approach multiple smaller firms to help with that project. So it's like a large scale program. The reason for that is different firms may have like different specialties. So this company said, we're gonna invest all this money right now. We wanna get it all done at the same time. So we're working on one part of the project that integrates or works with kind of another firm's part of the project, if that makes sense. So it's like trying to balance everyone's and like work with other teams that aren't even in your business. Like that was just very mm. hard. That well, was
0: like cross oh, man. collaboration, cross Oof.
1: collaboration. Um, and And like in anything, like you're only as strong as your weakest link. So if you have like. A firm that's not pulling their weight, like what do you do mm-hmm. right they're not they don't work for you, so how do you work with them on a professional level to try and figure it up so it was yeah it was a it was kind of a nightmare, honestly, like looking back, it was stressful, yeah, it was stressful because we had deadlines, and this company was you know they're they're spending let's say five million dollars in a year on a project mm-hmm. like they're on top of it. <laughs> like, I mean, they weren't the biggest company in the world. So like $5 million to them was a big investment. So they were on it. Like they wanted us to hit our deadlines. Um, and so, yeah, working with everyone, trying to figure it out and hit those targets was, was stressful. Yeah, that had been super intense. <laughs>
0: Dang. What does an average day look like in your life right now? So I get up, I'll eat a Quest bar. (laughs) (laughs) And have some Quest chips.
1: (laughs) No, I'm usually up, you know, 7.30 or so. Um, Depending on, you know, what I did the night before or whatever. Um, And then I'm at, you know, basically for the last two years or two and a half, I just, I'm, you know, at WeWork before eight. Um, And I'm... You know, usually there, I'll you know, be there for the market open, um, check emails, whether for consulting um, clients or whatever, or personal emails, you know, things I'm trying to, you know, deals. Like if I get any angel deals come sent to my personal email, I'll check those out. Um, and then I'm usually. What you are know,
0: angel deals? Oh, yeah.
1: That's a whole thing we get into too. Uh, so, like two or three years ago, I started doing some angel investing. So that's like you know, a private, private, you know, me, not an entity, essentially making investments in deals, um, that are private. So like, it's a, you know, it's a private company, it's not public and they're, you know, raising money via around. And usually it's, um, you know, the valuations of the company are, you know, anywhere from a million dollars to maybe 10, 15 million, depending on, you know, what stage they're in. But, um, I think two years ago, so when it became in- accredited, so there's a, an accreditation that essentially says that you are you make enough money to invest in these more risky deals. So it's kind of a bunch of BS and, you know, it's, it's just such an arbitrary number that you have to hit to be considered a sophisticated investor. Um, when in reality, like, you know, I think there could be a course out there that the SEC or some you know, government agency puts out that, um, you know, enlightens people with the risks associated to these things. And they should be able to do these deals, too, because, you know, some of the, the biggest returns um, have come from from private companies. Right. Getting in early on these private deals. Anyway, so I became your, part of a
0: oh, checking the checking the emails. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Intel yeah. Angel fund emails.
1: Yep. So that's that's angel investing.
0: Yeah. Essentially. Yes. Is we'll, is, we'll dive into that. a little yeah, bit Yeah. Yeah. If you want to I come back, to to disrupt that. the totally flow.
1: So that's you know, if anywhere from like eight thirty to ten, I'm usually doing that stuff. So I'm watching you know anything that's going on in the markets and um, you know keeping tabs on on any other investments I have, um, whether they're they're public or private deals. And then um, I usually try and take a walk, especially in the summer. So I'll go for you know a walk, usually maybe a half hour to forty five minutes, just around the North Loop, down to the river. You know, sometimes I'll go across over to Boom Island and come back. Um, and usually listen to, like podcasts or sometimes music, depending on the mood that I'm in. And then since I don't really eat breakfast, since I haven't really talked about breakfast yet, I um, will be back and usually eat like an early breakfast or early lunch, I guess you could say, eleven o'clock, eleven thirty.
0: How many bags of Quest chips? (laughs) (laughs) So my diet is
1: interesting. Like As you guys know in the office, I do the keto thing, right? Mm, I don't know. I did not know anything about your diet. Yeah, so I do the keto. I've been doing that for like seven years. So I'm just like very low carb. Um, I'm not super strict about it, but uh, I'm usually eating less than like 40 grams of carbs a day.
0: Okay. What's kind of your reasoning behind it?
1: Yeah, so when I first heard about it, um, you know, I was just kind of like, and I've always been someone to tinker with, you know, things like, uh, whether it be body, uh, hacking, I used to call it. So like, you know, alpha brain and, mm-hmm. and, and, just shit like that, you know, testing different supplements and see how I react. And like, obviously like THC and CBD, like all this stuff, like I've always been interested in just kind of like supplements and, um, you know things that you can do diet or otherwise that per change your performance or your mood or you know stabilize your mood i guess and, and and sleep and just things that you can do to really just increase your your overall well-being and so i had heard about keto through um might even have been tim ferris just his mm-hmm. podcast and i was kind of like well i'll check it out you know it seems interesting um, you know, I did some research first and I think it's just generally known that like most people or at least Americans eat a lot of carbs or too much sugar. Um and so I was kinda like, all right, well I can kind of I originally was kind of just like dipping my toe in and wasn't really seeing any results, I guess you could say. And so I was like, well, let's just dive head first into this. I mean like like buy the book keto where you're eating like you know less than 30 grams of carbs a day and you have specific macros you have to hit for like the amount of protein you can eat because that can affect it can't have too much and also the amount of fat that you need to get specific ratio so i, I kind of dove in and started that and um you know i was like testing my blood like pricking my fingers checking my ketone levels and stuff like that mm-hmm. so I, I like dove into it to see, and i was just tracking it was just interesting to me to track it and how um, you know, if I ate certain things, how did my body react? How did my, um, you know, insulin levels re- like change, and all that stuff, and like um, the amount of glucose, and all all the stuff that kind of relates to how your body processes carbohydrates or sugar, um, and breaks it down into energy. And um, I thought it was super interesting, and so, and I ultimately felt way better, like more energized consistently throughout the day so instead of needing uh, and feeling like I was crashing at like 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. and needing like a Red Bull or a cup of coffee or something I I felt like the same level of energy throughout the entire day and I slept way better Um, and so after I mean it's just kind of been seven years I was like well why would I change anything at this point you know it's been working for me so yeah yeah
0: yeah, if it definitely works, just keep going at it.
1: Totally. For totally. Sure. And yeah, its I, I would say its it's been a, a big, um, it's had a huge impact on my overall mood. And, um, you know, if, if you sleep better, obviously, that you know, it kind of helped my sleep, which sleep is, I think, a huge, like, very important to your overall happiness and, and mental health um, and energy and everything. So
0: you keep your afternoons pretty flexible, probably more... Flexible than your mornings? Totally.
1: Yeah, my mornings are very regimental. I mean, like for someone who doesn't have like super consistent scheduling, like my mornings are pretty consistent. Like I always get up at the same time. We kind of talked about me like taking some time in the morning now to not like be on my phone. So, like that, I'm trying to incorporate. But for the most part, it is super consistent that I'm up at relatively the same time. I have, you know, specific things that I'm looking at in the morning, um, information that I'm You know ingesting and then um, afternoons are very open for sure
0: yeah is there anything you specifically try to do in the afternoon or do you usually just keep it open to whatever you want to do
1: yeah I mean um, so I would say the gym is important I mean like I've been historically been pretty good at going to the gym so um, you know it it's easy to go for me in the winter Right. There's not a whole lot going on, I guess you could say. So like, you're not wanting to be outside as much in the winter, obviously. So for me to go in the winter, it's a little bit easier. You know, there's not always like, for example, today, I'm going to go golf, you know, after this. So like where I would probably go to the gym, I'm going to go golf instead, which is fine by me. Like, I just want to be active and be outside and, you know, walk 18 or nine or whatever. But, um, so that's important to get some sort of exercise, um, which usually happens for me in the afternoons. Um, and then, yeah, like walking too. So I'll, I'll usually go on an afternoon walk as well. Mm-hmm. And it's usually not as long, but, um, not know. I just find walking really, for me is, it's not really an exercise thing. It's more of like a, um, kind of like a mental thing. Like it, I just like. Walking and for whatever reason it helps me like process information or think about plans or whatever like I just kind of it's an easy way for me I'm not just sitting there. I'm kind of actively moving and like listening and to like podcast or whatever. So That is usually something that happens in the afternoon and then it just keep it open for you know, whatever happy hour social activities um, You know boating golf in the summer um, You know seeing family and whatever.
0: Yeah, What's your favorite thing to do in the summer?
1: I I mean last summer, so what's funny is last summer I golfed. I think I golfed let's see, so probably golfed like fifty rounds of golf, which for me was a lot. Hey. Yeah. Like for and it still is because I the funny part is is this summer I've golfed maybe seven. If if that. <laughs> so last year I would have said golf for sure. And I love golf and I still do and like I am going today um so that's one activity i really like to do in the summer this summer i did a lot i mean we boated a lot or i boated a lot you know so that that kind of took over maybe more of the afternoon than, than golf but um
0: do you find golf to be like what kind of value do you get want to get out of it specifically is it yeah something to help you relax and get your mind off of work do you actually go in golf to Hopefully, like network with people.
1: <laughs> I think it's a little bit of both. I think golf, like for me, I'm not the best golfer at all. Like, you know, I probably shoot in like the high 80s on a good day, maybe mid 80s. So I'm not like a crazy good golfer. I'm not playing in, you know, playing in any major tournaments or something like that, um, locally. But I will say that it is a very, a very cool um, social, there's a social aspect to it for me too. So I love getting like, you know, four, four dudes or uh, four gals or whatever together. Um, and just going out and having a good time You're outside and you, know, you maybe have a couple beers or something like that and you shooting the shit. Um, and then, you know, it is, it is a cool way to clear your head. Like if you're playing well, it's fun to be out there and it's fun to kind of, um, you know, take your mind off of things and focus on just hitting the next good shot, right? Yeah. And if, and,
0: and if you're not playing well, you just wanna like leave. Very very quickly. Yeah, I mean, just like I mean, just
1: like most <laughs> things, it's a love hate relationship, right? Like if you yeah. have a nine to five, there's some there's shit that you love doing throughout the day and there's shit that you hate. You know. In terms of like the markets and like if you're into the stock market, you know, it's a mm-hmm. love hate thing. Like Yes. you're on a run, you're on you're not doing so hot sometimes. So
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. How did you get introduced to the world of angel investing? And would you be able to maybe share a little bit on what angel investing is? Yeah. One of the specifics?
1: Totally. Um, So how did I get introduced to angel investing? I read, I started following, so I listened to a podcast called This Week in Startups. So it's by Jason Calacanis, a pretty, I guess, famous person these days um, in terms of an angel investor. So he's, you know, early on in, in Uber and some other companies. So, um, but his podcast was focused just around, um, and to this day he still runs it is just bringing on founders of startups and just talking about their business and, you know, their struggles and, and how they've been able to succeed. Um, and I think he kind of used that originally as deal flow. So he was able to kind of market himself as a person who's, Um, communicating with a lot of founders. And so he was getting a lot of deal flow um, and did a lot of angel investments, I'm sure because of those relationships. So followed him through that process and he wrote a book about it, about angel investing, just kind of what he went through and some of the things he's learned. And so I read that and was just super interested. I mean, at this point, I was already, you know, already interested in investing in stocks and companies in general. And so it was kind of like a good, um, you know, just kind of a segue into that you know, earlier stage market. And since I had, you know, became accredited, which I was able to be in some of these deals. So I joined, he has a syndicate. So a syndicate in the angel investing world is essentially a collection of people like myself. So just like small angel investors looking to invest, you know, anywhere from two to 20 grand in a deal. And the syndicate lead, which in this case is this Jason Calacanis, would source the deals and do the due diligence, make sure that the company is legit, you know, not fraudulent, you know, not fraudulent in any way, shape, or form, um, not misreporting any of their revenues or their their you know expenses and etc. And so he'll put the deal out, you know, he'll negotiate terms with the company, and um, he'll say, hey, you know, we have a five minute hunt, you know, five million dollar allocation to this to this deal it's a series a or it's a seed deal and you know the companies this is the terms they're raising the total of x amount of dollars at this valuation and um, you know as the syndicate lead I'm going to take a carry which is essentially um, so there's a management fee kind of setup fee and then there's a carry which essentially means that he gets a certain percentage of any profits that are generated from this particular deal
0: he is kind of getting a little kickback for exactly. presenting the deal exactly. to you. exactly so okay. a finder's
1: fee essentially it's beneficial for him because that incentivizes him to find good deals right because he's getting a percentage of any profit so that usually means an exit so if a company gets acquired um that's when he would receive his 10 15 20 whatever it is so he's incentivized to find good deals and make the valuation and negotiate a good evaluation for our investment um and, uh, and obviously for us, that's great because, um, you know, we, it's not like you're paying him 10, 15% right out the door. It's just uh, upon your successful exit from that business, you, you know, he takes his share out of your proceeds and that's, that's that. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's how I kind of got into it. And I was looking at these deals through the syndicate, he would send, you know, a couple a months. You know, I'd look at him. I was looking at him for a little while, like wasn't making, any, wasn't pulling any of the triggers, and then, um, you know, just started investing pretty small amounts into into some of these, like really the lowest I could, which was like one or two thousand dollars. Originally started out just because I really didn't know what I was doing. I didn't understand, um, you know, cap structures and how um, you know pro rata works. So there's like, you know, company will most of the deals that were that would be that I would be doing are like Seed or Series A, they're really early on. So they're raising like a, you know, a relatively small amount of money at a small valuation to accelerate you know, their growth and get to the next stage. And when they get to a next stage, usually they'll raise more, right? Their fundamentals change, Their you know maybe their growth rate is increasing, they wanna push even harder. So they'll go and they'll raise even more money at an even higher valuation and so you know, there's terms like pro rata and um, some of the rights that you get as an investor, um, and things that you you know need to understand before you go into some of these deals, um, because it will ultimately make a big difference on your your um, you know your outcome, money wise, profit wise.
0: Mm-hmm. So. So what you're investing in is kind of a over you know big fund that other investors are also putting money in. And was it a syndication or
1: what was the? Yeah, I mean that's I mean, that what it is. Yeah, synd- okay. I mean it's a syndicate, which is essentially okay. syndicating you know money for this for this deal. I mean, it's a you know it's essentially an LLC. So it's okay. basically like I'm investing in an entity, an SPP mm-hmm. or some sort of like entity structure that, and and my investment along with everyone else's is divided out based upon the amount that we invest, and that entity. Is the sole entity on the cap table for that investment round Mm -hmm. so and and, you know it's just kind of like a a layer in between all of the individuals that are investing in the deal there's just that layer in there so that way the company only has one person or entity to report to essentially which is the syndicate lead Um, but yet we all have our equal share of the investment. So, you know, if I'm, if it's a, you know, a million dollar round and I'm investing a hundred grand, you can do the math and figure out, you know, what the percentages would be based upon your investment in the round size or the allocation size that, that a syndicate, um, entity has.
0: Did you discover the fund through his book or his podcast? Yeah. Both kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, okay. he
1: mentions it, he mentions it in his podcast a lot. Um, because obviously it's good for him and it's good for, you know, the startup market for there to be liquidity and capital that wants to invest in these deals. So, you know, it's, it's something that he markets because the more, you know, theoretically the more investors he has as part of the syndicate, the more money he can generate from his syndicate members. So I, me, and the more deals he can do, or the more, um, you know, the better terms you can negotiate, the more amount of money that you can you can put towards specific deals, um, which usually gives you better terms and some negotiating power and things like that. So, yeah, it's good for him. It's good for me because I don't have to invest, or at least it has been up until now, because I don't have to invest, you know, 25 grand or 50 grand into a deal. I can do one or two, or at least I could do. I've been doing more now, but like one or two into a deal and just kind of like see how it goes, you know what are what are what are some of the uh, industries and some of the types of businesses that I'm interested in you know for one because I didn't know um, Two, like what types of updates do you get like how do you know when you should be doubling down like when do you get to double down it's just like things like you would learn over time mm-hmm. um, so it's been nice to to kind of dip my toe in up and you know up until the last couple of years
0: yeah for sure no that's cool Was the kind of the onboarding or being able to enter that fund? Was that process difficult uh, for you to join?
1: Not at all. It was really just, uh, you know, your personal information as far as taxation is concerned, right? So social, you know, stuff like that. Um, And then really it's just being accredited. So, you know, if you're, if you're trying to invest, if any U.S. person is trying to invest in like a private deal, something that's not publicly traded that the SEC has control over, then, um, you know, they make sure that you're accredited, which means that you're sophisticated enough to invest your money into some of these deals that are, you know, perceived to be more risky um, by the SEC or by, you know, a lot of regulatory bodies. So,
0: Where can you go to get accredited?
1: It's not somewhere you need to go. It's a first a lot of deals it's basically self-proclaimed but obviously if you were not accredited and I mean I actually don't know what would happen if you got into a deal and weren't accredited but said you were I don't know what the the ramifications would be of that okay so however it's self-proclaimed it's It's essentially as far as to date it's million dollars in assets excluding your home i believe and and or uh 200 grand in annual income okay uh individual and i think there's one for for couples as well so if on your taxes if you if you're you know your income's over 200 grand you qualify or if you have a million dollars in assets excluding your home you're technically um accredited and again it's it's self proclaimed like there are deals that I've been in or potential deals that I've been um, pitched where they're actually sometimes they'll do due diligence to determine and like you have to produce some sort of documentation whether it be a tax return or you know a brokerage statement let's say that has over a million dollars in equity in it and produce that to them so that they're comfortable with having you invest Um, but yeah for this syndicate that was not needed
2: okay
0: Hmm. are there any current industries that you're really looking at in terms of investing in
1: um i can tell you what i have done um so like i really like SaaS businesses like for me like software as a service makes a lot of sense that's what i've done a lot of consulting in right like with salesforce and mm-hmm. other products so like those businesses make sense to me i understand um you know, the, the R and D costs and then how, how they're marketed and how like their you know, recurring revenue can kind of look and be projected and forecasted and things of that nature. So those businesses are deals that I'll usually invest in, um, if I like the product and the, you know, the founder, um, I won't really touch anything. That's not, that's not a business based in the United States. So if it does a lot of business or has a founder, that's not from here. Uh, if the, I guess I should say, if the market is generally, if their total addressable market is generally not in the United States, I just won't touch it. Because I don't know, you know, cultural trends. I don't understand, especially if it's like a um, like a, a physical product that they're trying to, you know, market to or sell into, you know, LatAm or something like that. Like I'm just not familiar with how popular is that going to be what the culture is like? Are they, you know, is this product gonna p- be perceived as really valuable to them, et cetera, et cetera? So if it's, you know, XUS, I probably won't do the deal. Um, the only caveat to that is there has been one deal that was LatAm, where the founder I was familiar with don't know the guy, but familiar with someone who had done a, another, built another business and sold it. So it's kind of like all right well he knows what he's doing to some degree uh has some experience like building a business and selling it which obviously is what you're looking for um and i was you know the so i'm part of more than one syndicate now i guess i should probably say that as well so
0: is it with, underneath the same guy or different different okay yeah
1: so another pro another this this particular deal was pitched by another syndicate lead who i'm familiar with and um, has a very good track record and kind of knows a lot about um, different industries and a very smart person. So I you know, did that deal ultimately because I trusted the syndicate lead and then obviously the founder of the business regardless of what I thought the actual business and market um, you know, would, be, would be able if it was going to be successful or not. Um, so but as far as industries like it, it the industry itself doesn't matter but the types of businesses do so like SaaS is, a, you know I like SaaS. Um like a physical product business I will invest in so if it's like a direct-to-consumer brand or something like that I will do the deal if the valuations good and that I like the product and would buy it myself um, but generally, like, D 2 C brands where there's, like, physical products involved, um, especially if it's, like, a breakthrough product that, like, requires a lot of R&D or, like, spend, or, you know, I, I, I you generally shy away from those just because I don't... Those businesses are hard. Like, anyone will probably tell you. If you're trying to develop a product, um, like, a physical product that's new or, like, that's heavily, like, um, requires um, some sort of
0: if you get into development of the product yeah, yeah
1: if you're talking like something that's like a new like a new concept is I mm-hmm. guess what I'm trying to say if it's like mm-hmm. a new physical product that's a new concept to people I think that's it's hard and I think oh, okay. the the opportunity is huge right it's probably you're unlocking a lot of um, there's a lot of opportunity there if you can basically create a, your own market for a product that you're coming up with but obviously the risk is huge mm-hmm. so I'm not really looking to be I'm not really looking to be part of like anything earth shattering or like I'm not like reinventing the wheel or, you know, coming up with the next sliced bread really. I'm just looking to invest in, in deals that I have, that I feel have a greater chance of success. Um, from my perspective,
0: what's been your biggest, like win in the investment world. And then what's been your biggest loss
1: for public or private? Um, companies so stocks related or angel investing or both? Do both yeah okay. let's do both so for the angel investing world since I started only let's say three years ago I haven't had any liquid exit so like you know the typical time frame for like an angel investment is like seven to ten years before you get any like real cash return that can of course be different for different industries and types of businesses, but that's like the general time frame that people will say. Um, and so since I haven't really hit even the beginning stage of that, I haven't had any cat like I haven't received any proceeds in cash from any deal. I have had a pretty good majority of my deals get marked up, which means they raised more money at a higher valuation. And I've done a couple of pro ratas, I've taken advantage of that, which essentially means that I can invest, I am guaranteed to be able to invest in that next round at that valuation. So it, it basically locks in your alloc, it basically it locks in the percentage of ownership that you have, um, which is a good thing if you believe in the company, right? Because you could theoretically get diluted into the point where you really have nothing. Um, which is fine if the company keeps growing, goes public, but if it goes, you know, kind of nowhere, then you you, you might be kind of um, SOL. But anyway, so I've had a number of deals marked up. I've had a number of deals. I've gotten some, been some interesting like cap table changes. So there's one that I was in that, let's see, how did this work out? So it raised and then my equity got converted because the... There's something that happened where they, they raised more money and the, the specific way that they raised it triggered, based on my note that I had originally, triggered a, a clause, essentially, that was similar to it being um, an exit, if you will. So I got some a different form of equity. I got preferred shares in that, um, which I believe carry an interest rate, if I'm not mistaken, um so that's kind of nice so it might be seeing some actual cash flow from that investment um I'm trying to think of there's one deal that pivoted so essentially they you know the, the initial business idea was completely completely failed and they pivoted into a new business and so I, I, you know, essentially that was a zero, um, and then in terms of public markets, biggest win, I'm trying to think, you know, I, I mean like last year was pretty wild for a lot of people that were investing, especially if you were, you know, willing to buy the fear Mm. (laughs) last March. So I bought, I was buying like, you know, any, any tech name. In uh, in March and April, pretty aggressively, especially nice. more so ones related to work from homes like Zoom. I think I bought it for like ninety bucks. Um, so there was some like DocuSign, like you know, if you're if you're buying any work from home, you could have been buying every month or every like you know every paycheck you got and buying any tech name, and then more specifically anything that was kind of like the work from home stocks. You know, your success rate would have been huge if you were just buying those last year and holding them, but Um, so those were some big, big wins last year. Um, I'm trying to think of my worst loss. I think I got caught. I was trading some, um, I think I got caught one day and this was purely mistake, like purely just a mistake. I think I, I threw in an order on, um, a leveraged ETF product that um, it's a great product. It's just leveraged, right? So you need to know what you're doing. And I did. I, you know, it was not like I was um, uh, making a mistake in my in my thinking. It was more my fingers put in an order for share for share amount. That was way too big, and and got pretty. I got smoked on that pretty pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was five figures that I threw down the toilet pretty quick. Okay. But yeah, so I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, interesting. What's been your, what's what's the current brand in the world that is maybe most well-known that you've invested in? Because I know you've invested in like Mudwater. Oh, yeah. Right? And that one's, that one's a really cool brand. Yeah, it's, um, all, it's all relative. Yeah.
1: Um, Mudwater I have. And so that's, I think that is seen by a lot of people, especially on like Instagram. They're pretty good good at Instagram ads. Um, Trying to think of whatever, what else. There's a company called Outlaw Soaps. I guess it's super popular. I have never used it. I I really wanted to, so usually I'll buy the product, like Mudwater, for example, right? You know that I have it in the office and like I didn't know exactly what it was. I'd seen it on Instagram and I got pitched the deal and I was like, okay, I'll invest a little bit in this because um, I like the concept and then I ordered it and I loved it. So, you know, I even invested more I think after that because I liked it, but um, yeah, this Outlaw Soap supposedly is just growing like crazy. Um, I don't know of anyone that has the product. If someone does, like, your followers, like, let me know. Like, I, I should probably get it. But
0: <laughs> supposedly it's it.
1: it's super popular in, like, more rural areas because the, the concept behind it is um, scents, like, soap scents that are a little more, you know, not your traditional scents. So think, like, tobacco and, like, uh, you know, more... Um
0: talking about like kind of like more sense, Yeah, like, just, just like, like, like weird like, stuff. Okay.
1: Just like more unique scents. Um that's not your traditional uh you know, cologne smell, whatever you want to call it. Um but supposedly it's like super popular and uh I should probably order some sometime mm. soon, but I haven't yet.
0: Yeah, if you can find a scent you want. <laughs> totally.
1: Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh
0: when looking to invest into those companies is there one thing that you really look for or even if you were to maybe pull out one specific thing that needs to be like a yes from you in order for you to invest in well i think like
1: the founder is important so you know a lot of the deals that we will get and i say pitch to me i mean like they're presented to the syndicate in the cases where the syndicate is involved um, where they will discuss or at least highlight what the founder who he is and what they've done or the founding team right like if there's an executive kind of um, uh, level of individuals um, they'll discuss where they came from usually they have like prior successes in other businesses and things so I always look at that I'm interested to see are they successful in this industry or in this vertical of business like if they were like the director of marketing for Uber and they're coming over to director of marketing for this business, like that says something, right? One, they probably know what they're doing um, with, within a business at scale, right? Uber's huge. And they see it as such a good opportunity, they're willing to leave and probably get paid a lot less. So the founding team is important to me and like where they came from, um, what their backgrounds are. but. You know real realistically like it's really just comes down to kind of valuation and my opinion of how big I think the company could be (laughs) which is completely subjective like you know there's no real equation there it's just kind of like all right if I'm getting in a business at a valuation of five million dollars and they're selling a you know a SaaS business like they don't need a whole lot of like annual reoccurring, right? Like ARR to make it worth $10 million. You know, if they're doing a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars in ARR um, at a five million dollar valuation, you know, and they're growing at least over 0%, like they'll be worth, you know, 10 million dollars in, in a relatively short period of time. Now, whether they get disrupted or like can keep that up or grow to a point where they are uh, attractive candidate for an acquisition, that's, you know, a whole other story. But in my head, you know, if I can see that they could be worth, you know, two, three, 10, 20 X, what they're worth, what, you know, I'm getting in at, then it's a worthwhile investment for me, right? Because if you invest, you know, in deals like that, <clears throat> like for me, it's a lot like just a numbers game, same with like trading stocks, right? It's like, you just put, you stack the, the deck in your favor as much as you can. And then hopefully the return that you get, over, you know, 100 deals will be positive. You know, it's not like I'm looking to come in and and hit 100x on every deal I do, right? It's like I'm just looking to find to invest in 100 deals and have one of them be a, you know, a 100x or 200x kind of investment and the rest can be break even zeros or like base hits. So,
0: do you run calculations Based off of like what where you think it could go, or is a lot of that just like mental processing? Yeah,
1: it's really quick. Okay, it's not. Yeah, it's usually just really quick. Um, kind of calculations. Um, you know, sometimes I'll look at competitors if they have any. So I'll ask around, or I'll look on Google, or you know, if there's any. There's some websites out there now, like AngelList. They'll post like kind of what businesses are if they're private, because obviously private companies don't have as much information out there about them. But um, there are some places you can go to find competitors and what they're doing in terms of revenue or if it's like a pump public company that does something somewhat similar um, you know you can kind of figure out like okay this company is doing you know a million two million ten million dollars in revenue a year um, you know do is there a market you know is there that big of a market for another business to come in and, and disrupt and do something a little different yeah maybe um, and like it's just kind of like You know, asymmetric returns. It's like betting that there's a possibility that it could be huge, um, and not obviously never a guarantee. So,
0: let's say I have ten thousand dollars, just kind of sitting around. What would you recommend I do with that money? (laughs) This is not financial advice. Yeah, (laughs) not financial advice. Just ideas. Uh, ten grand. You know
1: it's funny like like a lot of life actually it's like you know there's no there's nothing that you can really do that's a guarantee so like the risk that you take is equal or somewhat proportionate to the reward that you get right so if you go you know you could take that 10 grand if you want to make money today like if you wanted to first like turn that into something today you can go to the casino and maybe, get it and yeah, and maybe get back. Yeah, maybe back. You're probably gonna lose it. Yeah. Um, lose it all. But yeah, if you're looking, you know, for low, and again, it just depends on what you're going for, right? Because you could take that if you wanted to say like not lose that ten grand, but maybe make a little bit of money. Like if your goal is is capital preservation, um, I mean, you got to go get like a CD or a high yield savings account, right? Because then you know theoretically you're not gonna lose the money. Yeah, inflation, whatever. But, um. You're maybe make, you know, a few basis points <laughs> in this day and age on that money. And, you know, you're going to have the 10 grand, you know, you could always take a little more risk. Um, you know, there's probably a website out there that will give you, you know, volatility adjusted returns on, you know, on average for a lot of different asset classes. So that'd be a good place to look. But I mean, if you're looking long term, I think the traditional, You know, long term investing, kind of passive investing, buying index funds, and diversification is kind of your best play. Um, Okay.
0: Nothing really like getting the adrenaline going. Just going into some nice smooth. Yeah, if you don't want to lose your
1: money, if you want to lose your money or have a, a greater than likelihood of losing your money, but a huge asymmetric like payoff. I think you you look at assets that are you know similar to angel investing right so it's you know companies that um and this could be this could be investing in any business that may be something you start yourself right i mean if you have 10 grand um you could easily start a brand a business even if even with products right i mean what is a shopify site i mean it's free right for the most part like for two weeks so yeah, it it's like two, 30 bucks a yeah, month right cheap, so you can cheap. pay for your shopify site for a good good chunk of time good uh, or <laughs> invest in you know some angel deal but um yeah no if you want to like dive into anything specifics but it's it's really it's just you got to weigh what your goals and objectives are for your growth the growth of capital versus the you know, how much do you, how much emphasis do you want to place on preservation and making sure you don't lose that money? Cause for the most part, the higher likely, the, um, you know, the greater chance of your reward, the higher likelihood is that you're going to mo- lose that money or there's going to be, lo- you know, higher volatility in your returns. And, um, and, and if that isn't the case, typically it's illegal, right? Like <laughs> there's no sure bets usually. Um, and so, yeah, then you have some sort of information that may or may not be legal, but yeah.
0: Have you ever done any uh, illegal trading? <laughs> uh, any, uh, no, I
1: haven't. Insider I haven't. info. I haven't. Um, I I I mean, I will say like it's. I think you just hear things from people that isn't necessarily inside information, um, but may they may be alluding to certain things um so even if like you're out to happy hour with somebody right and they're like god you know we're the, our company's doing great or oh, i just got a you know spot bonus or something like that where they're like excited about it and it would only like a company would only do that if they're doing well like that type of information is kind of a gray area right like it's not like they're explicitly telling you like hey we're going to report better numbers this quarter so you need to buy our stock however you can kind of you know ascertain that maybe the company is doing really well if they're spot bonusing someone or, you know, giving them some raise that's, you know, well above cost of living, right? Um, And so that's, uh, you know, to my knowledge, not necessarily insider information. Um, However, I think even like recently we've seen the SEC kind of go after some people that have made like very insignificant amounts of money relatively for, you know, trading on insider information. So it's probably best to just not, you know, trade on any um, information that you, one, get in writing for sure, right? If it's, if, if the information you get is like via an email that can be traced, definitely don't do it. <laughs> if it's, you know, information that's definitely you know, related to specific like numbers, then definitely don't do it. You know, if it's information that you're just kind of picking up here and there, you're, you're doing the analysis on what someone else is saying and they're not explicitly telling you, then hey, you could probably get away with it. But, um, you know, another thing too is even even sometimes you could know quarterly numbers for a company and you wouldn't be able to guess, you may not be able to guess correctly what the stock will do. So that's another thing too. Is even if you know a company's gonna, you know, exceed expectation expectations by 10 percent, you know, on their EPS or something like that, they may, their stock may not go up. I mean, it could go, could gap down. Uh, just kind of depends on what the rest of the investing community is expecting for them to release for numbers. Um, so sometimes it's actually not beneficial. It's probably more harmful. It's, it's. You know, you, you could get in more trouble than it's worth. Sometimes I would say, you know, if you're trying to like get inside information and what the company is going to report, you know, you know somebody that works there, maybe he's the, uh, you know, the accountant that reports directly to the CFO and knows something. Um, even if you get the result, you know, even if you get that number and you make a trade on it, and um, you know, it doesn't work out, you could probably still get dinged for it. So, uh, yeah, never really mess around with that.
0: You have, uh, I don't know if I've ever seen you, but uh, I've heard other people talk about it. You do some NFT horse racing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's Would you funny, be able man. to share a little bit oh, of my how God. that even works and what that what that life looks like? <laughs>
1: so NFTs, yeah, I mean, it's relatively new to me as it is to everybody else. But I, I just know this guy who was telling me about this uh, this NFT project Zed Run, which essentially, you know, you, you, ba- you buy this NFT, which represents a horse with specific attributes. And, um, you know, the cool thing about it for me was I wanted to learn about NFTs. Right now they're h- hot as shit. I mean, it's insane. Um, I guess collectibles in general, right? So I wanted to learn about it, but I didn't want to buy just any, like, you know, picture or JPEG, you know, I don't, I was like, well, this cool, like it has utility. Like I can buy this NFT for, you know, whatever it was and I can race it. You can like race it against other people's NFTs. And there are different like lineages and like breed types and like genders. Like the attributes of these are insane. and, And it's really cool because it's actually based on like, it's way over my head. Right. But it's, it's based on whatever, um, kind of genetic algorithms exist within the world today so it's based on like what uh, and this is again way over my head i probably am butchering this but you know the way that they breed these horses which is another aspect of the game is you can buy two nfts if it's a female and a male horse and breed them to produce another nft and so there's like you know some sort of equation that gets um you know calculator whatever to produce this new nft which is another horse and so anyway they race you know you race them and the, you know the value of the nft is kind of based on how well your horse does if you have a guy if you have a male horse and he's a really good racer you can sell him as a stud and like have people breed with that horse because they're expecting it to like be faster and you can uh you know sell your horses and so it's just like It's just a wild world. I think it was just a way for me to to get into the game. But anyway, the reason I got into this particular project though is because this person that I know was like crushing it. Like he bought up a ton of these uh, kind of higher level, we'll call them uh, horses, and was racing them. And if you get, you know, the probability of the placement that they get in a race, which I believe there's twelve stalls, so you get twelve horses in a race. So over a thousand races your horse will have one of five different, um, uh, statistically, it will have one of five different kind of diagrams of how the placements will, the outcomes of each race will be. So for example, you could have one of the best horses kind of in the game is one that is winning a huge percentage of the races in first place because the payout goes first, second, third, right? And it's divided up amongst each three. So you want to be first, obviously. Um, and then there is, you know, a kind of a bell curve one, which will be like, you're not really winning, you're not really losing, you're right in the middle. And then there's a couple of their configurations just based on the historical races that have occurred in the horses that exist today. Um, so anyway, he bought up a slew of these like high performing horses and was just crushing it making you know thousands and thousands a day on um, just racing and they've changed the rules to the game so originally you could race your horse as many times as you wanted and in as, as many races as you wanted so he would just like all day be racing his horses and you know the win rate for for that was was huge and so you just race them um, and then of course you get your winnings in ETH so like ETH Ethereum and so you know he was winning these in Ethereum and was and ethereum has been was going up at the time so he was just like just money printing essentially and i knew it wasn't gonna be like that for me right i was buying like shit horses i just wanted to try it out and see like all right if i wanted to throw 20 grand at a horse that is good you know would it actually work and blah 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 so and you can yeah it's just crazy i mean you could like you could focus on just breeding or you're selling your offspring and that's your income so there's a lot of aspects to it but i just got into it i'm not it's not anything serious uh i don't think that um you know it'll be like any huge moneymaker yeah. for me. but it's kind that's, of fun yeah it's that's, fun to learn
0: it's crazy i think that's, the
1: nft space is so interesting right now um not necessarily because of like artwork Like the you know kind of like the the, the apes and shit that are people are buying for millions of dollars that it's just a picture of an ape but like the nft space where as it relates to what the horses are where you have something that can be there's properties about it there's attributes that um can interact with another nft in some way so i.e a race a horse race so you have specific attributes of it your nft and Given, you know, whatever algorithms they have, like there's outcomes that can be derived from your interaction with another NFT and you can sell it and you can breed it, you can spin spin off NFTs and it's all, you know, wrapped up in this game, which I think is just super interesting. And I think there's a lot of applications for NFTs in general. So that's why I wanted to get into it.
0: Yeah. Even NFTs, like you see some people use them for events, for connecting with people. Yes. It's kind of like an exclusive membership you can get. Um, and it also benefits the person that's selling it on a continual basis. Totally. So there's an incentive for them to create it, and it's incentive for the person owning it to keep it. Yes. Type of thing, Which is really cool. I agree. I'm, I'm pumped to see like w- where it goes in the future and what totally. people can do with it. Totally. It's, it's cool. I wow. 100% agree with you. Yeah. Do you have any plans on creating NFTs or is even the horse that you own Is that like the only nft you own no i've minted
1: i've minted some nfts myself (laughs) that are just like photos you know (laughs) like i've Mm -hmm. minted NFTs because i you know what like we've kind of talked about before is like i i like to explore i like to like learn about something and the easiest way for me to do that is just kind of like see an application of it so like see how does it act um in a specific application and like learn more about it so i you know i was like okay well if i have a photo like how do i you know what does it mean to mint an nft like how does that happen how long does it take um what's the cost if is there a cost uh you know what's the marketplace like so just trying to figure all that out it's just easy for it's easier for me just to try it <laughs> instead mm-hmm. of like trying to read about it mm-hmm. it's just kind of like let me go buy this fucking horse and throw it in a race and see what happens you know and then you figure everything else out at the end, or you know, let me just mint this NFT of a photo of me like in, like in Italy, and <laughs> like, see what happens. Ooh, you know? how much
0: is it selling for?
1: Uh, I don't know. I think it, I think I put it up for a penny. No one bought it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Dude, get that price way up there. No, I know. And so I know. I buy it. Totally. <laughs> no, that's cool though. <laughs> yeah, I think just like being able to, you know, just start doing something instead of reading too much about it. You know, like taking action on it is way better than just like sitting back and like reading and watching on it. It's actually like doing it
1: helps. And listen, like I have met a lot of people or have met the type of person that needs to consume a lot of information before they act. And I think that if that's what works for you, that's great. If you need, you know, some sort of like preparation, which I totally get, like preparing yourself yourself. You know, ingesting some sort of information, whether it be books or whatever, about a topic before you jump in, that's great. Um, for me, it's just been a little different. I like to get in the weeds a little bit and figure it out for myself. You know, similar like when I started out doing programming stuff. It's like, I mean, I could read all the books in the world. I just want to get in there and try it and like fuck up sometimes, right? And like figure out the hard lessons. So, yeah, totally. I agree with you. But there are some people that I know, you know, very intelligent people that, like to prepare first in some way, mm-hmm.
0: so. Kind of looking out into the future, maybe in like the next five years, what would you like to be doing?
1: Oh, man, that's a tough question. Five years from now? So it'd be 30, yeah.
0: Uh, in terms of a career? Yeah, just career, just maybe what life. life kind of looks like for you. <laughs> if you have any, like, ideas. Five years.
1: No, I mean, I think, like, I've always uh have been interested or or welcomed the idea of having some sort of family uh, i don't particularly uh know what that setup would be I and mean, it's not like i don't know if kids are are So to me a family would would be a significant other who um you know i consider my person doesn't i mean i think the like marriage kids being part of a family isn't doesn't necessarily have to be the case in my opinion. It it definitely could be and it's something that I want, but I just I think having um you know someone that I'm I guess kind of like sharing life with is important to me. So that would be kind of step the first thing on my mind. Um you know potentially having some sort of kid, you know, kids or whatever. Um
0: maybe maybe NFT yeah. NFT baby. NFT <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be fucking wild now that I think about it.
1: Imagine that. NFT family. <laughs> dude, imagine that though. Like if you had. Imagine this. Just can we sidebar for a second? Yeah. Imagine this, dude. However many years from now they say, the US government says, All right, everyone has their own NFT, it's unique to you. It holds it holds your information about your your eye color, your hair color, your social information, like all your bank account information, right? Like that's your NFT. You can use it to interact with different applications or people or whatever. And then they take it a step further and like say, All right, there's like this virtual world. So like you and someone else's NFT could produce, like, offspring that's its own NFT, right? Like, it's not a human, but it's, like, a weird NFT offspring mm-hmm. that has attributes.
0: That's cool. I don't know. That's fun to think that'd about. That'd be fucking weird. I could see some, like, NFT and crypto combination there with the whole identification system. Yeah, because then you could, like, like, sell it. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be sweet.
1: Oh, what a, what a life Ooh. that would be. Um... But okay, so yeah, back to original question. Five years from now, so yeah, that would be nice. I, you know, I always kind of liked living. So I love Minnesota. I I grew up here. Um, I always expect to have some sort of presence here. So whether it be like a you know condo in the North Loop or a house on Tonka or you know somewhere in Minnesota, I love you know spending time here. You know, I've still family here. Uh, lake life is great. Going up north is great. So I always think that I'll have some sort of presence here, um, but I would like to, and I kind of talked about doing this this winter, but I don't know if it'll happen. But um, get a place in a warmer part of the country. So uh, you know, Phoenix, Miami, um, Texas. You know, some place that's a little bit more of an escape for the winters here. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'd spend the you know entirety of winter away from here, but at least a few months out of the winter. Go spend some time elsewhere would be ideal um, but really just do I mean doing this in terms of career just doing the same shit I'm doing now I mean I don't see that changing much um, I have thought recently about instead of you know the most of the like startup deals that I've done now bringing that back a little bit most of the deals I've done now have been relatively hands-off you know like I just you, you, the syndicate person is kind of doing the due diligence, they're looking at the businesses, they're negotiating, they're, they're providing assistance or advisement when needed from the biz, you know, when, to the business that we're investing in. And I, it's just hands off for me. So I've really toyed with the idea of starting something of my, myself again. Um, you know, something new, something more exciting, um, which I could see myself doing in the next year. Um, I've thrown out a lot of ideas and that could be, I'm investing in a pre-existing business and then just providing some sort of expertise, whether it's technical or, um, you know, sales or something, um, or management and then or it could be something that I start entirely, you know, myself. I've thrown out that wine idea, that winery. Have you heard that in the
0: office? I've heard, I've heard of like the concept <laughs> of the winery, yeah, but the, the not vineyard idea.
1: I've thrown this out. It's been, a, it's kind of been a, in my mind for a while, but buying, yeah. a vine- I know it's a tough business, so that's kind of why I'm a little hesitant. Like, it's not a business you come into and like, oh, it's, you know, easy money. But mm-hmm. um, I think going the vineyard route is a little bit more, is a little bit better, uh, safer, I guess you could say, right? You, you're owning the the acreage and you're producing the the vines or the grapes. And you, um, I've seen a lot of these deals where, you know, you can buy the property and they still have pre-existing contracts with uh, actual wineries that buy your grapes and produce their own wine. So it's, you know, kind of like a headless system where you just produce the grapes and sell them Uh, more of like a farming setup, which I I could get on board with pretty quick. Um, And then the actual winery part where I'm building a brand around a, a specific type of wine and actually producing the wine itself that could come later, but... That's Something that I've thought about. I love wine, so it's kind of like in a good extension mm-hmm. of that uh love of mine.
0: Yeah, that's cool, it's that's, that's good to share. <laughs> yeah, maybe yourself five years from now, be like, Oh, yeah, I mean, I just
1: kind of, of toyed around with like if I'm looking to live somewhere warmer in the in the winters here, uh, why not buy a, you know a vineyard mm-hmm. in the south or California or something that's um, a place that I could go for a few months and help operate um and it would be kind of the best of both you know be here in the summer and there in the winter and be able to work on the business all year round but specifically in the winters and yeah
0: to kind of finish up the podcast um finish it up with a few questions here um, rapid fire. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> something like that um, if you were to go camping out in the wilderness with three people alive or dead who would those three people be and why alive or dead
1: boy camping in the wilderness so I will say first people that come to mind I think, uh, I think so maybe like a Tim Ferriss, someone that is more of a kind of like a newer age, someone that's like within our generation that, um, seems to have really good perspective on life, or at least is getting to some sort of Place in in his life just I mean I don't know the guy but um kind of following along with his journey like has good perspective on life and what you know has focused on mental well-being um you know performance kind of finding some sort of balance in life I think that would be cool to get someone like that's perspective and how they see like what's really valuable in life um and and maybe you know, even more so someone who has made a lot of more money. So like, like a Dan Bilzerian or something like that. Right. Cause I've listened to his, some of his podcasts, like, I don't, you know, you, you, you see the guy and you kind of like get this weird, you have a weird, you, you probably judge him right from the get, whether in a good way or a bad way. Right. Um, but I think he, he some of the things he said just on podcasts that I've heard is like, um, you know the the, the kind of the, there's a money like a hedonistic aspect to life and like i think in money in particular you get to a certain point and you realize like that shit doesn't really matter um and so like once you get to a certain level i think um you 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 start to focus on what really matters to to be happy um or to like find fulfillment and so i think you know it'd be cool to get you know, that perspective as well, like someone who's been super successful, who was maybe pursuing things they ultimately, that ultimately didn't make them happy um, and kind of get their take on what, you know, how they course corrected. Like, what did they actually focus on? Like, how did they change up their life to to find that fulfillment? Because um, you hear that a lot, like people, you know, you, you focus on the money and you end up kind of empty. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would love just any inventor, you know, anyone who's like invented something really interesting. Um, this could be technology related. It could be, I'm trying to think of a good example. I mean, like an Elon Musk, be interesting. Like I, it doesn't even have to be someone who was successful at what they did, like in terms of invention, it just be like to get to hear someone talk about their vision on a future that doesn't exist you know like or maybe is completely like out of this world would be so interesting to me just like shooting ideas around about what the world could be um you know what it would take to get there would be would be fun Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) and I feel like if you're you're talking about like in the wilderness right so you're probably you know Smoke a little weed. <laughs> you know, trip. it'd be quite the trip to talk to an Elon Musk or something in that state, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: you'd have to have Joe Rogan out there, you know, to uh, yeah get it gone. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. And then, if you were to leave your last piece of advice, maybe to your younger self, who could have you know benefited or used it earlier in life, what would that be? I think.
1: I'm I, I would say emphasize relationships with friends, families, you know, whatever, over um, superficial things. So, you know, people over over material things and experiences. I think and I've always been I feel like pretty good at that but um even early on I think it's just so valuable not to focus on you know fucking money and just like you know material things it's like great I, I don't get me wrong I love buying nice shit but um I think that, that for me it's just it's a nice benefit to doing something that I like to do um and not uh Not the reward for doing it, if that makes sense. Like, not the reward for doing something that I hate.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That that sucks. For sure. I love that. Like, try to balance everything out the best you can. Yeah. And try to be there for the people that need you most in life and be there to experience life with them and support them. And
1: that's all that matters, man, honestly. You know, I've met a lot of people that, you know, they'll lead with, like, oh, I'm a, I don't know. Like an NHL hockey player. Like, okay. <laughs> but are you cool? Like are you fun? Like mm-hmm. you know, do you have a sense of humor? Are you fun to talk to? Like what are your interests? Like do you have fan you know like shit that actually matters, right? It's not like I don't care if you play professional hockey. I don't know, that's a bad example. It's not like I've ever had it happen, but you <laughs> oh, know. That's what I mean? not like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like I think um uh, there's more aspect, I guess there's more aspects and and more important aspects to a person, in my opinion, than what they do for a living or how much money they make. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, um, you know, I met a lot of people that are awesome and they love their fucking lives and they make, um, you know, little to no money and they don't care. You know, they don't have a lot of nice shit. That's not what's important to them. And I think that's awesome. And I met a lot of people that make a lot of money and that's cool too. And they, um, also have, uh, an appreciation for, just life in general, not just the things they own or the
0: money they make. So that's cool. Sweet. Well, Cole, it's been a pleasure having you on the yeah, podcast man, thanks, two dude. days. <laughs> split this up. Thanks for having me. Time flies um, here. It does. I just appreciate everything that you've done to like support entrepreneurs, even yeah. invest in them. I know you hopped into like Six Florida, Devens like Trading Group to yeah. support them, which is awesome and just like encouraging those young hustlers to get after it. So thank you.
1: Absolutely, dude. Pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for tuning into the podcast with Cole. If you enjoyed it, please send us a DM on Instagram at BehindTheVisionPod or Ever underscore North or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as we love to receive your feedback on the show. If you want to stay up to date on new podcasts and collection drops from Ever North, check out evernorthco.com. Thanks again for listening and I hope you have an amazing day.